0: Erev Tov, we are back to our shiuray agadah. After a little bit of a break, we're getting right into the next sugya which we are dealing with in Masachet Berchot. There's a few different places you can find us in the sugya For tonight's shiur, you may actually need both of them. So attached to the PDF, attached to the Zoom invitation to tonight's class, also in the Google Classroom, are two different gemara files. You have one of them, which is uh, Agarata, maybe it says En Yaakov and the other one should say Agarata Talmud Bavli or Vilna Shas or something like that. Uh, do you see both of those files attached? Yes. Okay, wonderful. So we have Also, a third link on there, which would be the Sefaria. So if you would like a Hebrew-English translation that's not in your Gemara, you're more than welcome to go get one uh, over there, by clicking on the Sefaria link. What we did the last time around, we took a sugya from the En Yaakov. We discussed it well. The first time we just studied it on a face value. We read through the, the Mishnah, and we understood the words, and then what the Mishnah is trying to tell us. The next time around we came together and dug a little bit deeper, a little more than just Rashi. We discussed various opinions to understand not the halachic side of the sugya, but of the textual side. What does it actually mean? And as I said, those pieces that we did from the Binishkhai, from Harav Kuk, from whoever it was that we dug into, those pieces would not have been properly understood had we not built a solid foundation first in the sugya, so for the next year or two or three, we're going to be dealing properly with how to understand the sugya. After we get the sugya, and you'll know the sugya by heart, just like you know the last mishnah by heart. What do I mean by heart? You know when this, we say shema in the evening? We say shema in the evening when three stars come out. And Rabbi Eliezer says until the end of the first watch, and Chachamim say until midnight, and Rabbi Gamliel says until the morning. And the children came back from the wedding hall and they forgot to say shema. Rabban Gamliel says you could still say Shema as long as it's not done And what about the Chachamim? What do they say? What about the Chachamim? Would the Chachamim agree that you can say Shema Israel after midnight? Would the Chachamim agree that you can say Shema Israel after midnight? Very good. So they would. So then why, why Baruch did the Chachamim say stop at midnight if really you could say it all the way till the morning? So you wouldn't forget to say it all together. Very good. Kedei To keep a person away from the avirah actually forgetting to say Shema Yisrael entirely. Just like you're able to do that right now, by the time we finish studying this next suya, I expect that every one of you will know to be able to say what we call the Shaklai the give and take of the sugya, in order so that when we're analyzing details, it'll make sense to you what we're analyzing. I cannot tell you how many times I listen to people give shiurim, or they teach things, but they never did the favor to their talmidim of teaching it on a fundamental level, on an, what you might call it elementary level. I don't think there's anything wrong with being in elementary school. Uh, it would be a mistake to try to study mathematics without first knowing numbers. It would be a mistake to try to do advanced mathematics without mastering basic mathematics. The same thing is true with the Talmud. It would be a mistake to start analyzing and digging and people ask questions or they want answers. And you can ask questions and get answers until you truly understand what's in front of you right now. So for the beginning, I'm going to be learning in the Enyakov itself. Yes, and I'll tell you that it's interesting that sometimes you'll find variant texts between the Enyakov and the Talmud Vilna that we have in front of us right now. And obviously much of that has to do with the versions of the Talmud which are available at the time and how imperfect the Vilna Talmud is. In fact, the Talmud that we have here uh, from the En Yaakov is actually perhaps even more correct. It's a Sephardic preserved version of the Talmud. What you also find is when it comes to vowelizing Aramaic, there are different publishers that vowelize Aramaic differently. I don't know the rules of Aramaic vowelization. I'm sure that other people have spent time studying this. It's not one of my uh, fortes and so in some books you'll read it this way in some books that way but it's the same words that everyone is trying to get at so if you open up the En Yaakov you should go to the page that says not Aleph at the top but it should say Bet at the top do you see that? it has a Bet on the top right of the page right on top of Rashi it says Bet I'll tell you where it is in your PDF If somebody finds it before me, please tell me. Here. You are in the En Yaakov. It's a sections one through six. You see that? So we're going to be on page four of the PDF. Yeah, you see where I am? Not that PDF, the other PDF. Okay, Roger, okay. Do you see the other PDF? For those of you who have your cameras on, I so appreciate it. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what it says on the top of the page. Very good. That one. Somebody else asked a question? No. Okay. So here says the Gemara. First, yeah, yeah, very good. That's exactly what right. we Gemara. Actually, in many ways, we're reading to you. Okay, so the Gemara had a little bit of it before we skipped that part. So the Eni Yaakov is not a complete Talmud. And the Yakov Yaakov skipped the first part of the Gemara and it's bringing us to the next part of the Gemara. So if you're using an an art scroll Gemara or a corn Gemara, where we're going to be in the Hebrew is in the middle of the page, the yeah, Gimel Mem, yeah, like in the traditional Vilna page. We'll be down from there One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, about 15 lines down from where it says Gemara in the regular Vilna Talmud. So we learn in our Mishnah that when do we begin saying Shema? Mishah Nichnasim, Nechol, We begin saying Shema Israel from the moment in which the Kohanim enter to eat their So now the Gemara has a question. Mikdi or Mikdeh. Kohanim, emat ka'achle te'umah. The Kohanim. So Kohanim, which became impure. And now they've immersed themselves in the Mikveh. At which point are they allowed to eat te'umah? Nishat said from when three stars come out. That's the answer. So when are Kohanim allowed to eat Ummah, From when three stars come out. If that's the case, the Mishnah should have said, mean, the Tana, the author of the Mishnah should have said, Mishat Tzedek kochavim When the Mishnah asks, from when do we say Shema in the evening? Why does it bother telling us from when the Kohanim enter Teeter Teumah? The Mishnah should have just said from when three stars come out. Forget previously any answers we gave in the realms of connections and Kohanim and Shema. Those are not pshat answers. The Gemara here wants to know why does the Tana insist on telling us this phrase for when Kohanim enter Tita Uma? Why not say for when three stars come out? Now those are the same time, right? So the Gemara answers: Milta Agav Ocheh Kamashmalan. The Tana is trying to teach us. Agav Orche. What is Agav Orche? In Hebrew we would say, Derech Agav. What does Derech Agav mean? What is oche? <laughs> we say in the Gemara, Orach Ara. Or in Hebrew we would say, Derech Eretz. What does it mean, Derech Eretz? What is a Derech? On a way, on a road. It's common sense. Agav Orche. Agav Orche means along the road, meaning if he's anyways taking this uh, road, he's taking a detour off the road. The Tana is derech Agav. He's teaching us something besides the point. It's, it's not the main point of his Mishnah, but he's teaching us another thing while he's teaching us his main point. What's that second thing he's teaching us? Kohanim. When do the Kohanim come eat their teruma? at The Kohanim come to eat their teruma when three stars come out. So the first thing that the Tana is teaching us is this halacha: When do Kohanim eat their teruma? When three stars come out. V'hakamashmalan and the chidush, the, the novel insight that the Tana is teaching us, dechapara l'me'akva that his kapara is not me'akev. What is kapara? When the Chachamim talk about kapara, atonement, what's they referring to? There's steps here. A person becomes tameh. He waits seven days. He goes to the mikveh. What's the next step after a person becomes pure? In many cases, not all cases, but in many cases. What does he do in the he can eat from the Mikdash? What does he do in the Beda Mikdash? He brings a korban, korban. very good. He brings a korban. So in Hebrew, we call that sacrifice kapara, his atonement, if we're going to borrow a King James word. His atonement is not me'akev. What is le'akev? What does it mean to be me'akev somebody? To block, to hinder them, to hold them back. His kapara is lo me'akevah. His sacrifice does not hold him back from his ability to eat his te'umah. Meaning, the Tanah is teaching us here, not just that the time the kohanim entered the te'umah, and at the time that, and that um, that time is t'er the Tanah is teaching us something else. The Tanah is teaching us that even though the Kohen has not yet brought his kohman. Once three stars come out, he's permitted to go eat his tilma without waiting to offer a sacrifice. When does a Kohen offer the sacrifice, by the way? It would be in the morning, Very good. Because we don't offer a komanot that night. So when does he offer, if he waits until let's count. A person becomes Tameh. He now waits seven days. When does a person go to the Mikveh after waiting seven days? On the seventh day? On the beginning of the 8th, meaning that night where a person goes to the mikveh, do me a favor, never call it a mikveh. I don't know what a mikveh is. A mikveh, that night that a person goes to the mikveh, is already the beginning of the 8th. According to halacha, that's the 8th day. So when does a person offer their sacrifice? Not that night, but the next day, right? The next morning, that 8th day. So we're learning here, from the way that Tanat teaches us the Mishnah, he's intentionally invoking the name of the Kohanim, because he's teaching us another halakha. Another halakha is, what? Not only do the Kohanim eat their tiwumah when three stars come out, but that the only thing the Kohanim need in order to eat their Tiwumah is to go to the Mikveh and for three stars to come out. They don't need to offer their sacrifice before they are allowed to eat their tiwumah. Now rabbis are going to bring a proof to this from a baraita. like we learn in a baraita, what's a baraita? But there's different ways. Some people say baraita. The way I heard it, my rabbis is a baraita. <laughs> what is it, baraita? A contrast what is it? It's a work. That, it's it's a work of the Tanaim that was not included in Mishnah. Okay part of Rabbi Yehuda job, very good, Rabbi Yosef, part of Rabbi Yehuda job when he was compiling the Mishnah is that there are certain things that make the cut and certain things that don't make the cut. So certain things that Tanaim wrote but that weren't, for whatever reason, included inside of the canonized Mishnah of Rabbi Yehuda those texts have weight. Those are, are like, uh, what, what do you say? Tanaik. That's a fancy word. Those are works of Tanaim. But there are works of Tanaim that are unincorporated. So there's the incorporated Mishnah and the unincorporated Beraita or Beraitot. Beraita literally means that the definition of the word Beraita is something on the outside. The external, those that made the cut, that came in, and those that didn't make the cut. They stayed on the outside. So a Beraita has tremendous weight. Maybe not as much weight as a canonized Mishnah, but a tremendous amount. So Kidet Tanya, like we learned in the Beraita. It says in the Torah. You know, let's look up this pasuk already on our own. So, open up Vaika, book. I, I attached a link in safari. So, if you want to open up the Zoom invitation at the bottom, there's a link that takes you to the book of Vaika, chapter twenty-two. If chumash in front of you, or safari in front of you. Chapter twenty-two. Here, I have a chumash here. Pasuk. Zaini. So, verse seven. Vayikra twenty-two seven. Let's read together in the Torah. The beginning of chapter 22. And Hashem speaks to Moshe saying, Speak to Aaron, the children. They should here is the word nazir in a verb form. What does a nazir do? A nazir abstains from things. They have a mitzvah to abstain, to withdraw themselves. From the holy things of the Jewish people, so they shall not desecrate my name. Tell them that for all your generations, Anybody who comes close, any of your kohanim offspring, that come close to any of the holy things, meaning those things that are offered in the Bin mikdash while they're still timaim, v'tumato alav, that his tuma, his impure status is still there. ha ahi ani and I will cut off, spiritually excommunicate this person's soul, from before me, I am ashamed. We have a similar usage in Yom HaKippur, what does it say? Right, the, the, the conclusion is that that is cut off from its people. That nefesh. now you could say here it's a little different. it's even more cut off from Hakadosh Baruch Ish, every person, Mizera haron from the descendants of Aaron, and he is a tzarua. What is a tzarua? He has uh, he, he has the tzarat, meaning he spoke the hara, right? Ozav ba lo yuchal adasher itar. And there's some kind of nocturnal emission. He's not allowed to eat from these kodashim until he becomes purified. or zara, or any person that touches anyone who touches a dead body, or again has some kind of uh, seminal emission is not allowed to touch these things. Or a person who touches any type of contaminated uh, swarming thing. Or if he touches anybody else, that makes him a Tameh. So he is Tameh until the evening. And he should not eat from the holy food until when? Until he's immersed himself in a mikveh. And what's the next pasuk? This next pasuk is all that we're going to be discussing in this piece of Talmud. Uva hashemesh And after the sun has set, uva hashemesh, the sun has set. You might think, speaking modern Hebrew, uva hashemesh means "and the sun came." Here comes the sun. This is the you say uva hashemesh, right? This one here is a hefech. Uva HaShemesh in, in Jewish text means the sun has set. Yochal And only afterwards can he eat from the Kodashim for it's his food. This pasuk, Uva HaShemesh V'tahir And after he goes to the Mikveh, the sun sets and he's now pure. Yochal And then he's allowed to eat from the Kodashim kilach Because that is his bread. So now that you know this pasuk, don't close it yet. You might need the chumash again. Don't close it yet. Let's go back to the Gemara. The Gemara says the following. The tanya, This teaching of the Tana that a Kohen does not have to offer a sacrifice before he eats his food. is also found in a Baita. What it says, Uva Hashemesh V'tahir. and the sun sets and it becomes pure. After he becomes pure what does the Torah say he could do? Eat. He could eat. Very good. So what do you see? it's the setting of the sun that holds him back from eating Te'umah because so long as the sun has not set he's not allowed to eat ummah. even though he went to the Mikveh when does he go to the Mikveh? before the sun sets yeah I mean before the sun sets is a person allowed to go to the Mikveh before the sun sets? So why,
1: in this case, yes.
0: Why in other cases do we not allow someone to go to the mikveh before sunset? Usually they'll go to relationships with their spouse. Right, so we want to avoid, that's right. Essentially, we don't allow them to because we're afraid they're going to come home before the three stars come out. And then they'll be with their spouses and then that will be a problem. There are times, by the way, where a posek might decide that there's a pressing reason for this. The problem is that the people who run the mikvot have no idea about halakha. You know those people, they run the mikvot. there's a few ways to go to Gan Eden. One of them is to be a holy person who helps people on the mikveh. Another way is to be a person who helps people on the mikveh is to go to it's a It's a double-edged sword. Depends what kind of person you are. Most of the people that I've heard of or I've known they're the ones that go straight to Gehinom. That's how it works. They don't know how to call Now all of a sudden they became the chief rabbi of the whole world. Someone comes. I had a situation once, you'll see on my website, I have a letter. Once I wrote a letter to the rabbi of a mik- mikveh in a, Where was it? I don't want to tell you where it was. It doesn't make a difference. Well, not in California. Uh, somebody called me. They were having a hard time going to the mikveh for reason X, Y, Z. The balanit, the person who works in the mikveh, decided that she... This lady had to do certain things in order to go to the mikveh. By the way, what's the reason we have a lady in the mikveh? What's the balanit? What's her job? Sure the hair goes. In. Right, her whole job. The only purpose, the only reason for her existence is to make sure that when a person immerses herself in the mikveh that all of her hair goes under the water. She can't look above the water, so she... Goes. Now there's a very easy way to avoid needing a balanit. Give me an example. How can one make sure that her hair goes under the water? Okay, very good, just to make sure all there, let's say even, uh, what about a hairnet, someone is toveled with a hairnet? She needs a balanit? No, of course not. So the balanit is only there, energy there, they heat up the water, is her job. so they hand out towels, whatever her job is, to so take people's money. This whole, uh, thing, she now becomes the chief rabbi of the world, she knows halakot, knows hadith, so what happens? This lady needs to go to the mikveh, the belenit then let, the belenit said, Your rabbi has to contact the rabbi of the mikveh to explain the heterim. And I wrote a letter to the rabbi of the mikveh and I said, I just want to let you know that it's an embarrassing thing for me that women have to come and ask rabbis to get involved in these questions. A lady tells you halacha is halacha. She learned it from a Tamil from a rabbi. Whatever. Why are you asking questions? What's your job? It's not your job. You take the $30, $50 ribby tank, let her go. Well, what's your problem? There are times where this is required. There was the, uh, from what I've heard, I'm not part of the community. What I heard in the olden days in the Syrian community in New York is that, you know, Baruch Hashem, the, the Sfaradim are very careful about Tarat al It's something, uh, something special. There are a lot of Israelis, for example, you, you, you don't even know that they look to you like just regular Israelis, they don't keep Shabbat, not. but it comes to Tarat al they're very particular. Baruch Hashem, Ashok Israel. What happens is that these ladies will come in the Syrian community Friday night, it comes time to go to the mikveh. What happens? They're afraid. They're afraid. It's Brooklyn walking back home alone at night, whatever would happen. They'd come in a car. They're afraid to walk home. And the chief rabbi of the Syrian community had to weigh this uh, scenario. What's better? For her to drive on Shabbat, or for her to go to the mikveh a little bit earlier so she can walk home while there's still light outside, or or drive home while there's still light outside. So he made a takana that in his community, a woman who has to go to the mikveh on Friday, goes before sunset, and her husband, doesn't make sense how religious or not he is, her husband, when she goes to the mikveh, he leaves the house to go to the Beda Knesset. An hour before Shabbat, he's already in the Beda Knesset, learning Mishnah. that's what he does. That way he's not in a situation where he's home. He comes home after tefillah, it's already late enough, Shalom But this has to be done with a consultation with a real-time who has Yerat Shabbat, So you see here, that the, the only thing that holds him back from eating his tuma is what? Is sunset. Ve'en kaparato And his kapara, meaning his sacrifice, doesn't hold him back from eating his tuma. So he's going to bring his sacrifice tomorrow, but until tomorrow, he's already allowed to eat his tuma. By the way, let me ask you an interesting thing. Do you know of halakha, nowadays, where someone is obligated to bring a sacrifice, but because they can't, there's nothing that they do. They're considered completely taho until, uh, until the giulah comes and they bring their sacrifice. A modern day case, it happens every day. That would require a paraduma. Let me tell you something you didn't, remember, you didn't think about. A ger tzedek. Somebody who converts to Judaism. There's a few steps. Acceptance of mitzvot. Mila, I'm not saying, mila Tvila, kabbalat mitzvot. So bring milah, immersion in the mikveh, and kabbalat mitzvot on themselves. Those three things are required in order to, to convert to Judaism. The next step, though, the fourth step. What's the fourth step? To bring a kolban in the B'di Mikdash. They have to bring a kolban and a sacrifice in the B'di Mikdash. Ah, So, what about now? What does the ger tzedek do? So, our Chachamim teach us that a person promises, they pledge to bring a kolban when the B'di Mikdash is built. But until then, they're still Jewish. So, even though the Mikveh, the brit milah, those things hold a person back from becoming Jewish, the Kapara is not Makiv. Even though he's what we call uh, mechusal korban, he's lacking his korban, or she's lacking her korban. It doesn't make a difference. She's Jewish until she has an opportunity to go to the Beit mikdash and offer a korban. I'm not saying that they're exactly identical to each other, but this is not a new concept. That a, the the korban is part of what we do, but it doesn't hold a person back. So, why are we mentioning this teaching here? Because this is proving what we initially asked. We asked, why did the Tana tell us? When do we, the Kohanim eat Te'umah? The Tanah just told us when three stars come out. He was trying to teach us the Halakha. When do the Kohanim eat Te'umah? When three stars come out. Meaning if you were thinking that they'll have to wait till tomorrow to eat their, their Te'umah, you're mistaken. They don't have to wait until tomorrow. They only have to wait until tonight. And what about the Kohanim? The Kohanim they'll bring tomorrow. And he's bringing another proof from the Bayitah. The Bayitah is telling you, that uh, this is exactly the case, that the 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 um, the setting of the sun is what holds a person away from their tuma, but not the sacrifice. So now the Gemara has some questions about this baita. What comes first, the baita or the Gemara? Of course the baita, very good. So now the Gemara is, is analyzing this baita. It says the following, the Gemara asks, ומימי דהי וווה from where does the Baraita know to understand the Pasuk the sun sets that it means the setting of the sun I saw three different nuschaot in my head I heard Yeah. and that which it says the sun sets means sunset how does it know the sun sets means sunset? And how does it know when it says v'tahar, it becomes pure, that we mean that the, the day, nital hayom, What do we mean, hayom"? When we're pure of the day, I mean the day has been cleansed out, the day has passed us after sunset. How does the Baraita know to explain it like this? Dilma, maybe you should explain the Pasuk differently. That uva hashemesh, that the sun came, means biat orohu. It's at the moment where the sun rises tomorrow morning. By the way, I'm reading to you this Gemara according to one way. Next time we read this Gemara together, there's a different way to read this Gemara. So I'm not telling you this is the only way to understand even the question of the Gemara. Biat Orohu Maybe when it says the sun is coming, it literally means here comes the sun. It means in the morning. On the eighth day, What does it mean in the Torah, V'tahar? It's intended, That the man himself will take an action to make himself pure. So maybe, Beraita, you're reading the Pasuk wrong. It doesn't mean, The sun sets and now he's pure. Rather, it means, The sun rises the next morning, And he will go purify himself, and then he can eat from the Teumah. I mean, from where does the Beraita understand the pasuk this way? Who follows what I'm saying until now? The Gemara is asking a question. It says, "Uva Hashemesh vetaher," that the sun sets and a person is pure. How is the person pure, vetaher? Because the day is gone. Maybe what it means is, "Uva Hashemesh," the sun rises the next day, vetaher, and he goes to the ben midrash and offers his sacrifice, and then he's pure. In which case? In which case a person would not be allowed to eat tuumah when three stars come out. They'd have to eat tuumah the next day. Yeah? Ama Barav baravshila. Rabba Ba Ravshila says. No, that's not the way you understand this. Imken lemakra vital. If this was the case, that a person had to take an action, which action? Which action? Offering a korban. The pasuk would have not said vitaher. Vitaher is a passive, past tense word. Rather, it would have said vitah. Vitah is a commandment. It's an active word. Go vitah, Go make yourself pure. So rather, my vitaher. What does it mean? Vitaher. Taher yoma the day has passed the day has purified him and if you want to know there's a few different how to say that one as well it's like what the folk saying goes what the people say the sun has set and the day has passed so let's say before we get here this far the first half of what we just read. Maybe we're reading the Pasuk wrong, maybe the Beraitah is reading the Pasuk wrong. Maybe when it says Uva hashemish, the sun is coming, it means the sun is rising, not the sun is setting. Vetaher doesn't mean that now he's automatically pure, rather Vetaher means that the next day when the sun rises he has to go to the Ben-Mikdash and offer a sacrifice in order to become pure. Maybe that's the case, no says Rabba if that was the case it should have said "Vital." it should have been in a commandment not in a past tense passive but in a active sense of go you're commanded to go purify yourself and then the Gemara invokes a folk saying now this folk saying we're going to talk more about it but let's ask why does the Gemara invoke a folk saying what's the purpose of that who cares what the folk people say? People, people song, so maybe they go hand in hand. Very good. You're able to draw in from popular culture. Look how many times they said tonight, here comes the sun. Referring to that song, no? It's a song that many people are familiar with. And that's something Chachamim do. They're telling you something, and, and there's a machnogad as to what they're exactly trying to teach you from here. But let's say, at least in an initial pshat, the word v'itkei, v'itkei, v'idaki, this day, the, the day has passed, is in the same past tense as the word vitahil. The Hebrew and the Aramaic add up. In which case you see that when the sun has set, the day has already passed us. It's already behind us. And in that case, the folk people now understand, oh, that's just like the way we say it in Aramaic is the way that the Torah meant to say it in Hebrew. That's the purpose of invoking here, this uh, folk saying. The Gemara now wants to bring another proof. What's another proof? Another proof that the Pasuk means, what the Bharata says it means, what we're saying the Tanah says it means. So the Gemara goes somewhere else. Ma'rava, where is Ma'rava? Where is the West? If you are sitting in Bavir, where is West of you? Israel. Israel. So though we might call today Israel the East, you know, what does Rabbi Yudalavi famously write? He says, I am in the, I am in the I west, but my heart is in the east. This is the other way. Here we're on the other side of Israel. So for us, Israel is the general direction of the west. B'ma'rava. You hear this a lot. B'ma'rava is something that you use synonymous with the word Eretz Yisrael in the Talmud. So in the land of Israel. Had raba barav shila, this teaching of Rabbah, Ba Shila, they didn't hear about this teaching before. So, uh, what do you mean they didn't hear this teaching? Why didn't they hear this teaching? Different uh, centers of learning. Yeah, very good. Different, different yeshivah, different locales. One's in Eretzirel, one's in Babel. They didn't get this Pshat yet. But there is an Aderet Eliyahu. Aderet Eliyahu writes... It's not they didn't hear it, it's they didn't accept it. They didn't accept his logic. I mean, they had a different way to understand this halakha. Though I will tell you that in my understanding, the pshat of the Gemara is they didn't hear I mean, it is not something, not a pshat that they heard. They had a different reason. And they learned, they had a safek. I mean, they are now in trouble. Because they didn't have this teaching of Ababa of Ravshina, they're in, they're in trouble. And they had a suffix, they had a doubt. What was their doubt? What does it mean? Uva the sun came and that's sunset. Or maybe it's talking about sunrise, and what does it mean? It means that the next day he has to go bring a koban, the Dash. Meaning they're having the same question we're having. We ask the Bereita, Bereita, how do you know that this is talking about sunset and then eating on the eighth night? Maybe this is talking about sunrise and you're eating on the eighth day after you bring your koban. So we have an answer. Rabbah Rav says, the Pasuk says, Vitaher, not Vitaher. The Pasuk uses a past tense, passive word, not an active, tzivui, not a commandment to go eat. But in Eretz Yisrael, they didn't have this teaching. So they were stuck. They didn't know what the correct thing to do was in this scenario. The And so they, afterwards, found a solution to this problem. From where? From Abaita they found it. But you know, two people can reach the same truth in two different ways. Sometimes you find people that have nothing to do with each other. But their truth still still meets because they're looking for the same thing, maybe through different tunnels or different lenses or different places. But there's something common there. Hayof has a piece in Orot HaKodesh which he says, Talmidei Chachamim Marbim Shalom Ba'olam Torah scholars increase peace in the world. My father always says, There should be a question mark. Tara scholars always increase peace in the world? Which Torah scholar have you met that increases peace in the world? But taminei albim shalom ba'onam, why? Because they're students of what? What is taminei chamim? The student of wisdom. And those who are students of wisdom realize that no one has a monopoly on wisdom, but the wisdom comes from bo'er Wisdom comes from the creator of the universe. And all of us are attempting to accomplish the same thing, even though we're doing it differently. And that someone who's truly a student of wisdom is at peace with other students of wisdom. Not because they agree with the method, because they agree with the destination, with what they're trying to accomplish. And they agree that any wisdom that is brought to the world comes from the from a comes from the creator of the universe. And therefore, I can accept value in your wisdom because wisdom, all wisdom, comes from the creator of the universe. That's why when you see uh, someone who's a, a wise sage of the nations of the world, there's a berachah that we recite over them. Why They're not. It's not a Jewish wisdom, it's not divine wisdom. All wisdom is divine. All wisdom in the world comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Even if they don't understand that it's divine, it's divine. That's how Torah scholars increase peace in the world. They show people that everything that we're learning, every study of, of the world, of the universe, of science, of wisdom, of ethics, of everything comes from Borel comes from the creator of the universe. And in that way, they increase peace. Normally when people are passionate about a topic, they end up fighting over things. So for example, there are things I will argue with people about in Halakha that you probably don't care about. What do you care? Make a bracha here, make a bracha there. Who cares? Because you're not as passionate about it as I am. And it's easier for a person like me to fight with people over something that's not so important to you. But when we stop back and read, we're both trying to understand the same Talmud we're both trying to understand the same teachings of the Torah, so in that case, so we're all working together to reach a common goal. It doesn't mean we agree with each other, but we agree with what we're doing and where our information comes from. So v'hadar pashtula, afterwards, the chachamim found an answer. Mi from b'aita. What does the b'aita say? Mi Learned in the b'aita. What does the b'aita say? If you want to read the b'aita in full, if you want to read the b'aita in full, you're going to have a hard time reading the B'ayat I'll read to you the B'ayat full. The B'ayat says, from when to the Kohanim eat their Tumah, siman davar when three stars come out. So what do you see from there? If the Chachamim elsewhere in the Mishnah taught you that the Kohanim eat Tumah when three stars come out, you learn from there, Biachim shahu. There's no other thing the pasuk could be talking about aside from sunset. Umay v'taher. What does it mean Taher that the day has passed, and he's already become pure, even though he does not wait for tomorrow morning to offer his korban. So essentially, the chachamim and eretz yisrael learned this whole idea out from another beraita. Let me ask you a question: Did the chachamim in bavel have this beraita? Could they have learned this idea out from a ba'ita? Of course. So why didn't they? Why did they choose to learn it out from a pasuk in the Torah instead of from ba'ita? Why does a Rabba Rav Shila? In, why is he intent on explaining to you according to the Hebrew grammar that the pasuk means what he says it means? Why does he just bring proof from this ba'ita? There's an easy answer. You can think of an answer. Of course, bashud. It's so much better to prove something from the Torah than to prove something from the words of our rabbis. All kinds of people know what the Rambam says, what the Ramban says. How many people stop and study what the Kaddish Baruch Hu said? Everybody's familiar with all the books of the Musar of all the different Sadiqim, of other generations. What about the books of Musar that the Kaddish Baruch Hu taught the Nevi'im, like Yeshayahu, Yirmiyahu? What about all of those in the world? What about that Musar? I mean, listen, as I'm not saying, uh, Rambam, Ramchad, whatever you like to study, study it but why not first study Ko Amar Adonai oh this is what Hashem the master of Legions, said before you start studying all the rabbis who are wonderful in history maybe study HaKadosh Baruch Torah first our Chachamim always prefer when they can to bring a source from the Torah itself instead of bringing a source from another piece of rabbinic literature now both of them now agree to the same Peshat so now they're agreeing but they both got to the same truth from different places so again, we learn here a few things. The first thing we learn is that the Tana says that we come to uh, when the Qa'anim entered their Ta'uma, not because he's trying to be vague. He could have just had three stars come out. He's coming to teach us another halakha. That halakha is that even though a Kohen has not offered a sacrifice yet, he's already permitted to eat his te'umah. Why? Because once the sun sets, and three stars come out, the day has passed, and he's taho. That's what the Tanah is teaching us. The Tanah is building into the Mishnah another halakha, agav orchei. Along the road, he's teaching us another teaching. And now we have questions. How do you know that the Pasuk means what you say it means? And we see from the, one, the Hebrew grammar of the Pasuk, uva shemesh the setting of the sun, v'tahir, the day passes, and now he's pure, and he can his terumah. And we also see from the rabbis of Eretz Israel, that on a rabbinic level, in another biraita, you see that the Kohanim enter to eat their already that night, they don't wait until the next day, to eat their terumah. Do you have time to just do Rashi with me, so we'll finish him today, next week we'll do the next layer of the onion, that we want to cover in the Gemara. So look here with me at Rashi, I'm just going to pull out. Okay. Rashi writes the following. So if you're in the En Yaakov, we're in the top right column. Correct? And if we're not in the En Yaakov, you want to look for the Rashi in the inner spine of your book. So Rashi is always the column on the inner side of the book. Never on the outer side of the page, but towards the binding. You want to look for a Rashi that says, Mishat Tzedek ochavim. I'll tell you where to find it in your Vilna Talmud. And... If you are on the first page of the Masechet, it's the last two lines. You see the last two lines in Rashi. It says, "Mishat You see where I am? If you're in the Enyakov, you're on the top right of the page. Says Rashi, "Mishat When three stars come out, shahu gmar biat haShemesh. Three stars coming out is the end of sunset. It could be, by the way. It could be. I'm not going to dig through the halachic layers of this. It could be that this is already a connection to the Rabenu Tam opinion that you find in France, in which sunset is taking a very long time. It's a, it's a longer. I'm not saying for sure. Just something to think about. Dilma biat oron, shior ha'shemesh b'yom ha'shmini, ve'itar eish atzmo ve'teher eish atzmo b'v'at kovanot v'achak Maybe biat Shemesh, maybe the coming of the sun means not that the sun sets on the seventh day and on the eighth night already he can eat, but rather the sun rises on the eighth morning, and only then after he offers his sacrifice he can become pure. Can, so the command answers, if so, the high kra vitaher This word vitaher is a commandment of something to do. Nema ka vitaher, the pasuk should have said v'itaher that he has to go offer a sacrifice. What does it mean v'itaher? V'itke l'shon avar. It's a past tense word. It panam in how la mashemish. The sun already the the sun already left the world and now he's pure. Mi the kamal lekaman. Oh look here, like the gemara is gonna say later. This is the whole b'rayta. B'shematin mishash akonim chazim nechobatu matan siman the דבר tzidkochavim. When do the Kohanim enter Teter Terumah? When three stars come out. Shema minah and kaparadan You learn from here that their sacrifice doesn't hold them back, meaning that they can eat already their Koban on the eighth night, and they don't have to wait until the eighth day. Can I show you something very cool before we go away? Open up with me the Vilna Talmud, so not the En Yaakov page. Go look at the other page of the Talmud. So it's just a regular Talmud. It's, I attach a PDF. So go to the Zoom document. Don't click on the ones in Yaakov's, it's the Talmud, it should say. I, it's intentionally uh, copied for you the Oz hadar edition, because I want to show you something in their notes. So you know that the Talmud that we have in front of us has problems, many problems. There's a beautiful shiur of Chacham Fa'ur, I think, about Masechet Abu Zara'ah, from a Spanish manuscript of Masechet Avodah Zara'ah. I think I'm referring to it correctly. In which having an original Sephardic version of the Talmud makes all the difference in how you understand what's written in the Talmud. You know, very often the rabbis say, oh, the Rambam, he diverged from the Talmud and he said something else. Most likely the Talmud you have is the Catholic Church version of the Talmud. And the Rambam was fortunate enough not to have the Catholic Talmud, he had a Jewish Talmud. And because of that, he reached the conclusion that his Talmud made him reach, and not the conclusion that your censored Talmud made you reach. So on the left column, so if you're looking at the first page of the Talmud, in the big flowery letter, it says Mehematai, You've seen that in the Vilna Talmud? It's the first Mishnah, the first page. Yes? If you're in the PDF, I'll tell you where it is right now. If you're in the PDF, it's Agadah Talmud. It's going to be on the second page of the PDF. Okay, so look on the left column. There's a few sections, but there's one section, two sections, and a third section. So all the way on the left, there's like little narrow columns. This section is called Haghot Do You see that? It's like miscellaneous notes, okay? So you see there's a Rashi script that's bolded, it says Aleph, skip that. Bet, a few lines down, skip that. Gimel, a few lines down, skip that. Dalit a few lines down, skip that. Every one of these things is coming to tell you that there's a variant text of the Talmud, either in a handwritten manuscript, or in a Yemenite manuscript, or in Rashi's Talmud, or in the Geonim's Talmud. So this comes to tell you about variants, um, alternate versions of the Talmud. Um, a word here, a word there, a missing letter here, an omitted letter there. Look at hey. Hey starts at the beginning of the line. You see where it says hey? It's a Rashi script hey. Yes? It's about halfway down the middle of the page, on the left, all the way in the left column. Look what they say here. Oh, sorry, I didn't tell you first. But hold your finger on the hay. Go look at the Rashi column. Rashi column was the one all the way on the right. So, Rashi, the last letter that you see on the page is the little hey. You see the little hay? Yeah, that little hay is referring you to the miscellaneous notes section. Why is there a little hay over there? Because it says the following. In the handwritten manuscripts of the Talmud, and in the first printed edition of the Talmud. Which Talmud is the first printed edition of the Talmud? Yeah, which Talmud? Which is the first printed edition of the Talmud? Printed meaning in a printing press? Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe Amsterdam? Not Vilna, for sure. Not Vilna, that's for sure. That much I'll agree with you on. Look, read the next word for me. In the parentheses. What does that word say? Zev, you're saying something, but I don't hear you. Sonsino. Sonsino, very good. That's not referring to the Sonsino, uh, uh, <laughs> the Sonsino that was printed in the 1950s, and know, 60s, and not that Sonsino. Sonsino. Very good.